Hello, my friends, and welcome to our study of the book of Philippians on Sunday afternoons. It is 4 p.m. Tyler, Texas time. It's been a beautiful, gorgeous uh, day, typical fall day of nice, mild temperatures. We've had some cool nights and mornings and some nice warm days. Uh, that will probably all change because that's the way it is in Texas, probably similar to where you are. As they say, if you don't like the weather, just hang around for a little bit. It'll change, and that's certainly what we see. But today has been a gorgeous day, marvelous, and I hope and pray that you're sensing and feeling uh, the Lord's blessing and comfort and presence in your life today. There are so many who are in need of our com comfort and concern and prayers and um, we continue to remember our nation during this difficult time. We continue to remember our communities and uh, the rest of our world that struggles uh, with this pandemic and uh, trying to make sense of, of everything and continuing to not just make sense of it, but try to uh, be the Lord's presence in the people around us who are also looking for hope and peace uh, that perhaps we can help them find, even in the midst of a time that's um, seemingly uh, hopeless and filled with uh, conflict in Scripture. Uh, that is not the kind of thing that takes away our inner uh, joy and our inner hope and our inner peace. And today we get to look at a passage out of Philippians that absolutely brings that out, as well as just about anywhere when you're talking about uh, Christian joy, the title of this lesson, as you might have seen, is Rejoicing in Prayer. And uh, it's from that great passage in Philippians chapter 4, uh, specifically verses 4 through 7. But um, over these next uh, few weeks, as we close out this study of Philippians and its message calling us to find joy, even in difficult times, uh, we'll be looking at uh, some very familiar passages of Scripture, beginning with this one. Uh, later on, as you know, probably one of the most familiar and memorized passages of Scripture verses is Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Probably you memorized that verse uh, from not very long after you uh, started going to church or uh, went to Sunday school as a child. Uh, or became a Christian later in life. And um, that's a great, great passage. And we're going to look at that actually in its context. Uh, in two weeks, we'll be able to look at that uh, great passage, actually uh, three weeks, because I believe on Sunday afternoon of uh, Thanksgiving weekend, we're going to forego this little afternoon session. But we will be meeting together uh, today, obviously, and we'll meet together uh, next Sunday on the 22nd and consider this great passage from Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 9 uh, over the next two weeks, today and next Sunday. And uh, today we're going to be looking specifically at verses 4 through 7 that call us to rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, and so I'm going to uh, be sharing uh, with you about, uh, about this, and uh, we'll be looking at... Uh, these verses, but I did want us to read that whole passage, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. And remember, we are going to be looking at verses 8 and 9 um, next Sunday. So uh, Philippians 4, hope you can turn in your Bible or click on your uh, tablet or phone or your laptop, wherever you are watching this, and, um, and be able to read along with me. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What an incredible, incredible statement and even more incredible when we remember the circumstances that Paul writes these words from. Uh, these words come not while Paul is having uh, the best time of his life when everything's going well and there's no difficulties and there's money in the bank and there's perfect health and everybody loves him. and It's not any of those things. Paul writes these things while he is um, waiting for a trial before the Roman Emperor Caesar. And he's likely, as we have said, in uh, the capital city of Rome, uh, writing these what we call prison epistles. It's possible he may have written them uh, earlier from another uh, place while he was uh, incarcerated, uh, waiting for trials to happen before he actually made his appeal uh, and came to Rome. But likely, more likely, I think he's in Rome and he is um, waiting to see what the emperor will say and uh, judge about his case which the Jews had brought against him uh, earlier in Acts and uh, at the end of his third mission journey, as we call it, and then um, uh, trying to uh, bring about his death uh, for his own protection. The Roman commander sent him to Caesarea from Jerusalem, uh, the one of the main headquarters for the Roman army there um, in uh, that area of Palestine. And um, in Caesarea, uh, the, uh, uh, the governor heard his case and then uh, waited for a couple of years, uh, let go, uh, was released, and had another governor uh, come in. Uh, and so Felix gave way to Festus, and Festus was visited by King Agrippa, and, um, and King Agrippa allowed Paul to have a hearing uh, in his presence, along with the governor and the others that were gathered there that day. And that great um, witness that Paul brings in Acts chapter 26 is uh, what we read about as Paul is um, on trial uh, and the Jews are trying to raise charges against him and uh, the Romans are trying to figure out what they should do with him because uh, the, the governor, uh, Festus, and the king, King Agrippa, all agree that uh, this man has done nothing worthy to be of being uh, in prison, much less uh, worthy of death, which is what the Jews are calling for. And, um, and Paul, for his own protection and safety, had earlier appealed to the Roman Emperor Caesar. Because he is a Roman citizen, Paul is able to uh, have, he has that as an option. And if he feels like he's not getting a fair shake, just like in our country, you can continue to appeal all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, and the Supreme Court in the first century Roman Empire was Caesar himself. And Paul, as a Roman citizen, uh, played that card because he knew that if they released him into the hands of the Jews, he would be killed. And so he sought for protection from his own people 
uh, by the secular pagan Roman uh, government. And uh, it was the right thing to do because as he waited, as best we can tell, in uh, Rome, he wrote these prison epistles, the letter to the uh, Philippians uh, and Ephesians and Colossians, and then the uh, one chapter letter uh, to Philemon, one of the leaders of the church at Colossae. And, um, and during that time, he writes those letters and he is able to have some freedom. We might call it house arrest in Acts chapter 28. And, uh, and so now Paul waits. And he has limited freedom. He is unable to go about freely, but he is able to meet with people and to talk to them about uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's that's what he wanted to do anyway. And so it's interesting as we read these words and we hear Paul make this cry. And what we find in these verses, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9, is the promise of peace of heart and peace of mind. Next week, next Sunday, as we look at verses 8 and 9, where Paul announces all of those great uh, characteristics and uh, uh, attributes and thoughts. And he says, think on these things. Let your mind rest and dwell on these things rather than things that will only uh, cause you to have less peace of mind. I think those are that's a really important thing for us to consider in this day and time in 2020 uh, America. But before we get to verses 8 and 9 and that call for peace of mind, he talks about peace of hearts. And he says, here's, here's how that happens. And it's interesting in, in this passage, it doesn't happen because everything is going well. It doesn't happen because, uh, as the world would say, we are at peace. We have no conflict around us. Everything is going well. There's money in the bank. The health, the report from the doctor is good. The job is going great. Our family and friends love us. Um, the church is doing well. All of those things. For Paul, none of those things were, were happening. And yet also, none of those things could take away his peace. And so let's, uh, let's kind of take a look at this passage, and especially and specifically verses 4 uh, through 7. And it begins with that great statement in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Definitely one of the key verses, if not the key verse in the book of Philippians. Philippians, as I said, Paul writes while he is uh, incarcerated, basically, house arrest we might call it. Uh, and and he is able to live on his own, but he doesn't have his freedom. And he's waiting. He's waiting to hear if he will live or die based on what the Roman emperor decides. And so for Paul to say these words are absolutely amazing. And yet that's what he says. Christians are to rejoice in the Lord. And that gives us a key as to how this is to happen. Christians don't rejoice because of our circumstances. Many times in Scripture, in the New Testament, the circumstances of the disciples was very bad. And, and that's what was going on in Paul's life as he writes these words. But he doesn't say rejoice in the world. He doesn't say rejoice in the fact that all is going well for you. But rather, he says rejoice in the Lord. And we understand that. If you were with us as we looked at through the great book of Acts earlier in uh, my Facebook studies this past summer on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, we went through the book of Acts and we saw time and time again what that statement in the Lord really means and how we get there. Uh, because there were so many times in the book of Acts that question is asked and answered, what must I do to be saved? 
And another way of saying that would be, what, what must I do to be in the Lord? How do I, how do I have these sins forgiven? How do I uh, build that relationship with Jesus Christ where his blood cleanses me from all of my sins as John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And, and, uh, and that answer is given. They're called to believe in Jesus. They're called to repent, uh, to turn away from their lives, to change their purpose in their life uh, to, from selfish ambition and pleasure to uh, fulfilling the mission of God and the purpose of God and glorifying him with their lives. Uh, they're called to believe and to repent. They're called to confess that faith uh, with the mouth. Confession is made unto salvation. Romans tells us as well. And, um, and and that way people know that what you're doing is is true. It's sincere. It's genuine. It's from the heart. It's not just getting wet because the next step is to be baptized into Christ. Uh, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. Saul of Tarsus baptized in Acts chapter 9. Many of the Samaritans baptized in Acts chapter 8. The the Roman uh, centurion Cornelius and his family baptized in, in Acts chapter 10, even after receiving an extraordinary, miraculous blessing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in order that Peter and the Jewish Christians with him would know that God is now accepting non-Jews into the church if they will do the same things that the Jews were called to do, to repent and to believe, to be baptized into Christ. Um, in Acts chapter 16, uh, in this very city, in the city of Philippi, Paul is there. Uh, he is in jail. He's been falsely accused and has been beaten. And he and Silas both are in a jail and they're praying and they're singing hymns. And um, a great earthquake comes. They're allowed to be freed, but they are not free. And at that point, the uh, jailer comes to them in Acts 16 and says, what must I do to be saved? Uh, Because he feels like he should be the one that is free and at peace and with joy in his life. And and yet he doesn't have it. And so he, he calls on them and he asks them and they tell him, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus, because that is the first step. And you'll be saved, you and all your household, you and all your family. But they don't stop there. That's the beginning of their Bible study that night. In fact, as you know, if you're familiar with the book of Acts and Acts 16 especially, uh, it says that on the very same hour, at that very same hour of the night, and it was after midnight, uh, the jailer takes them to his house and he washes the stripes that perhaps he either put on or saw someone else put on as they were beaten and flogged there in Philippi. Um, And he puts a meal before them and they continue their study and the jailer and all of his family are baptized into Christ. Um, And so when Paul says rejoice in the Lord, that's what he means. He means rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ, rejoicing that you have a relationship with Christ himself, that you are in the Lord, that you are living in light of the cross because of the blood of Jesus You have salvation. You are free from your sins. Uh, You have life and life to the full, as Jesus said in John 10, was a part of his purpose in coming. And you can be at peace because of all of those things. You have joy. You rejoice again, not because everything's going well for you, but you rejoice because you are in the Lord. And so that leads to the second part of this statement. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. In fact, for emphasis, he says, I will say it again. Rejoice. 
not just in the good times, but rejoice uh, in all the times. Rejoice that God has saved you through Jesus Christ. And we're reminded of those great passages towards the end of the book of John as Jesus was talking to his closest disciples uh, before he was betrayed by one of them, uh, arrested, uh, accused, condemned, beaten, and ultimately crucified. Jesus met with those men, and he talked to them in that upper room. And one of the things he said to them over and over again was, I have come so that you may have my joy in you. He says that in John 15, verse 11. In John 16, verses 20 through 24, he says the same thing, and, and he likens it to a, a, a bridegroom and a, and a bride and a, and a mother who is about to give birth. He says, look, there's a lot of pain right now, but you're going to have joy that no one can ever take away from you. He shares that with his disciples uh, there in that upper room and as he has done at other times as well. And then when he's in the garden and he's praying, In John 17, verse 13, he prays to the Father that the Father would give them the same joy that he has. And again, he is about to be betrayed, forsaken, deserted by his followers, even though he had warned them that that was going to happen. He is about to be falsely accused by his own people, delivered over uh, to the Romans, um, beaten, humiliated, mocked, uh, and ultimately crucified. Uh, put to death on a cross, and yet he could pray to the Father just hours before all of that happened, Father, I want you to give them the same joy that I have. And that's a joy that's not based on external circumstances. It's not based on how the world is. It's not based on whether your candidate won or lost. It's not even based on what the doctor says and the news that he brings, Um, not just in the good times. And we remember from Philippians chapter 1, Paul spoke about that in verses 12 through 19. Paul talks to them about what's going on, and he says there are a lot of people preaching Christ around here. Some of them are are doing that just to stir up trouble for me. They think that if outside of where I am, uh, they are preaching and naming the name of Jesus, that it's going to be worse for me in here, that the guards and others will, will make my life worse. And perhaps that did happen. Who knows? But what Paul says in Philippians 1 is, nevertheless, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice because Christ is preached. The name of Jesus is out there. And I'll let uh, God sort out which motives are pure and which ones are impure because there's some of both. Paul says, just like in today's world, there's some of both. But just as Paul did, we too can rejoice that the name of Jesus is getting out there. And we want that to be from pure motives, absolutely. And we certainly want to have pure motives. But when the name of Jesus is placed before people and people are given the opportunity to hear that story, then we, too, rejoice. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Um, Rejoice, not just in the good times, but in all times, always. And then the next thing, Christians are to have a gentle spirit. Um, In Philippians 4, uh, he says, um, let your gentleness be evident to all in verse 5, because the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand, and that could mean that he's present with us, right around us. That's certainly true. Jesus himself promised before he ascended, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. Um, uh, In uh, Matthew chapter 28, he says in Hebrews 13, passage we looked at in our sermon this morning, 
um, he, he tells, reminds us, the writer of Hebrews does, that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. He's not going anywhere. He's going to be with us. Um, but, but what the point is, is that our gentleness should be evident to all. Um, and we should have a gentle spirit. And just as Jesus says in the Beatitudes that blessed are the meek, uh, for they shall inherit the earth, this is not weakness. This is meekness. This is gentleness. This is having a quiet spirit, a, a, an encouraging spirit, a, a, a self-assured, confident spirit, not because of ourselves, but because of the one that we have faith and trust in. And so that we can afford to be gentle. We don't have to um, force our way through. Jesus never felt like he did that. In fact, in John 13, just before he washes the disciples' feet, their dirty feet in that upper room, um, John records that Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he'd come from. Where he'd come from. He knew where he was going. And that's when he uh, took off his clothes and put a towel around him and got a, a basin of water and went from dirty foot to dirty foot of those disciples who were about to run and desert him, one of whom was about to betray him. Yes, Judas Iscariot was still there when Jesus washed their feet. One was about to betray him three times, even though he had been warned and bragged, uh, um, just loudly bragged that he would never do such a thing. Peter was there too. Uh, and yet Jesus did that. And our gentleness can be seen by everyone else as well. It's not a weakness. It's not a sign. It's actually a sign of strength, not weakness, to be able to be gentle. Uh, when everyone else seems to be losing it, um, perhaps a different word, but one of the fruit part, the fruit of the spirit that's talked about in Galatians five, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, mercy, faithfulness, gentleness and self uh, control, uh, kindness, all of those great characteristics uh, that he lists. Gentleness is one of those. We are to have a gentle spirit. And then Christians are to replace unwarranted anxiety with prayer. Very familiar passage of Scripture in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't be anxious about it, Paul says, but rather take it to God. Pray about it. Christians are to replace unwarranted anxiety with prayer. Well, let's talk for a moment about what this means and, and what it doesn't mean. Um, this is um, what it doesn't mean, first of all. Okay. Uh, what it doesn't mean is this Christians, it doesn't mean that Christians are never anxious. Paul recites at times, including in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, the difficulties and the burdens that he experienced because of the cause of Christ. And one of those, he says, the greatest one of all was the emotional burden he felt for the churches. That didn't go away simply because he prayed about it. Uh, he continued to have that. And so we need to be sure that people don't hear us saying, look, you don't ever have to be anxious. Uh, you don't ever have to be burdened. And a related one is that, is that this passage doesn't mean that we deny the seriousness of, of the problem, that we deny the seriousness of the situation, because that's not true either. Throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, including the Gospels with Jesus in his own life, and then later with the, uh, the, the apostles and other Christians in the rest of the New Testament, they experienced hardship. And they acknowledged that hardship as we've been looking through the Psalms in our Facebook study on Tuesdays and Thursdays. 
uh, here, um, the psalmist would very much acknowledge the difficulties that they were facing and at times would call on God to act in their behalf. Um, and so this is not a denial of the seriousness of the problem. This is not pretending that things aren't bad and that things aren't hard because that is far from the truth. Um, that is far from the truth. And it doesn't mean um, just pray about it and every problem you have will go away. It is not that it's not flippant like that. How do you know that, Bill? Because remember who's saying it and remember where he is, even at this moment as he writes these words. Um, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Uh, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Uh, don't be anxious about anything, but rather uh, with thanksgiving and prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. Uh, the one who is saying these things was going through horrendous suffering and would see that continue throughout until the end of his life. And, and Paul had, had been through it all, and he recounts that at times. And we see it, it experience, we read about it in uh, the book of Acts. And, and it's a hard, hard thing. And he never anywhere seeks to deny the difficulties that he had. He never seeks to deny the seriousness of the situations that he was in. And so let's talk for a minute about what this does mean. What does this mean? It means we are to have an honest, faithful, trusting, yes, even joyful prayer life. That when we talk to God, we look to him and we give him our prayers. We give him all of our concerns, all of our needs. Uh, we praise him in our prayers. We thank him uh, with thanksgiving, this says, and our thanksgiving season is nearly upon us. And what a great reminder to approach God with gratitude, to approach each day with gratitude, counting our blessings, as the old song says, uh, naming them one by one. What Paul says is we are to have an honest prayer life, a faithful prayer life, a, a trusting prayer life, and yes, a joyful prayer life, a prayer life that stems from what this passage began with, and that is rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again rejoice. And so finally, in these verses, what is the result of turning it over to God? Well, the result is not just joy, but the result is peace. And that's where we come to, um, to verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's going to talk about the mind of Christ, the mind of peace, peace of mind in verses eight and nine. But first, in this passage, he's been talking about how to have peace in your heart um, by rejoicing in the Lord and rejoicing in the Lord always um, by being gentle in spirit and letting others see that gentleness in your life, uh, that quiet confidence and assurance in Jesus Christ. Uh, by not becoming filled with anxiety because of the difficulties around you, perhaps even the difficulties you're going through. But with thanksgiving and with trust and with um, faith, um, with gratitude, praying about it, seriously praying about it. The work of prayer is hard work. There are so many prayer warriors wonderfully that lift up Joyce and me and, and lift up our church and our, and our church leaders and what a great blessing that is. Um, 
we have an honest, faithful, trusting prayer life, joyful prayer life. And because of that, we've got what the little kids sang about. Remember that song? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? You remember that song? Well, you remember one of those verses? I've got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. That That's this verse. If we will rejoice in the Lord, uh, we can do that always, whatever the circumstances, whatever the situation. If we're rejoicing in the Lord, then we can afford to be gentle and have that quiet confidence and assurance around others. And, and they see it in how we live our lives with faith and with hope and with joy. Um, we see the difficulties around us and we're not overcome with anxiety because of them, but rather we acknowledge them. We face them up front and uh, we take them to the throne of God in prayer. And when we do that, uh, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Again, we rejoice in the Lord. We have this assurance and peace in the Lord as well, because we have taken those issues to him. We haven't denied them. We don't pretend they're not there. We just realize that they're more than what we can handle on our own. And so we look to the grace of God uh, to help us and to get us through that. And he responds, that peace that transcends all understanding. To the world, it doesn't make sense how we can be at peace in the midst of such difficulties, sometimes in the midst of personal difficulties. I'm sure that there were some of the uh, Jewish and Roman authorities that would go see Paul while his life was on the line and he was under a house arrest waiting for his appeal to the emperor himself. Uh, with all these people that have been trying to kill him for these years. Um, now they come before him and whatever they were expecting, what they found was a man who was at peace and a man who had great joy. And it's not a flippant thing. It's not a peripheral thing, uh, but it's very real and it's very deep. And it's the kind of joy and the kind of peace that the circumstances of life cannot take away. Again, we're going to look at verses 8 and 9 next uh, Sunday. And in the context of these verses as well, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, and look at verses 8 and 9 and, and, and the admonition from the Apostle Paul that acknowledges we are to control what we think about. We are to control what we put in our heads and what we put in our minds. Sometimes it's like that laptop. It's like that uh, computer pop-up that comes up and unexpectedly that annoying ad or something else. And But we don't have to leave it there. We can click on that X and it goes away. And, I, and Paul says the same thing. I want you to think about these good things, these honorable things, these pure things. Why? Because we can rejoice in the Lord always and because we can take our uh, anxieties and our worries and our burdens to him in prayer and we can experience the presence of the God of peace, uh, the presence of the peace of Christ, which transcends all understanding. God's presence is what enables us to rejoice in the Lord always, even when times are tough. God's presence is what takes away our anxiety, even in the most difficult of challenges. And God's presence is why it's assured that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I pray that you will have a week this week of rejoicing in the Lord always, 
of taking all the anxieties to God in prayer and letting your gentle spirit be seen by all and experiencing what the Lord, what the world can never experience, that joy and that peace that comes from the presence of Christ. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday and finishing out this great chapter, this great passage of Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. For now, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again.